You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Robert J. Lloyd is the author of The Bloodless Boy. It's the first Harry Hunt adventure. The second book is out. It's called The Poison Machine. Thank you for joining me, Robert. Hi, Rick. Nice to, uh, to, to be talking with you again. It's a whole year since the last one. And only a year. And such a lot of books to talk about. This is a really big book. You really dove into the world for this. And... One of the things is I read this, I think in many ways this book partakes of different parts of uh, the science fiction genre and the fantasy genre. And the first and most apparent way is the, the careful world building you go through in here because the world of 17th century England and France and where this is set is so different from ours. You really have to build it up from scratch. And I'm wondering... Um, if you would be willing to talk about how you created a kind of, you know, the idea of the world, how you constructed that and put that together. Um, the, 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 the research for the first book, obviously the, the bloodless boy, um, was, was done. So, so I, I could kind of, you know, I, I, I knew, I knew the world that I was in. I also wanted to make changes so I, I wanted harry to leave the, uh, the the slightly claustrophobic london that, that i'd set up in the in the first book and and go further afield um i also wanted him to leave hooks protection the, the, the protection of his uh you know one-time master harry was uh, was robert hook's apprentice uh the, the, the protection of his mentor um, and he he um, accepts a lucrative offer. He uh, he is offered a job by the board of ordnance, and so he leaves Robert Hooke. He leaves the Royal Society uh, and goes further afield. So I, I wanted Harry to to travel. He he goes off to Cambridge, the, the Cambridge of Fens, where where I used to live. So I I know that part of the the, the country quite well. Uh, he, he goes to a place called the Denver Sluice, which is somewhere that I've been to um, various times, and that that's where I decided that the the body um, was uh, was waiting to be found. Uh, Harry uh, identifies the uh, the, the body uh, for Sir Jonas Moore of the Board of Ordnance, um, and having done so, his investigation continues and, and takes him to Paris. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I wanted Harry to to travel in uh, in this one. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's research, research, research. Rick is, uh, it, you know, how you how, how you do it. Lot lots of old maps and lots of old accounts. <laughs> one of the things that struck me about this book was that your ability to speak to things that are happening now, but were also happening then. And I think the Fens is a, a perfect example. Explain what they were before we mankind got their hands on them, what they are afterwards and 
you know, the Denver Sluice, this all speaks really well, I think, to, you know, our current idea of global climate change. Uh-huh. The, which isn't really something I was, uh, I was thinking of, I, I have to admit. The, the, the first book, um, The Bloodest Boy, the, the, the boy is found where Robert Hooke had altered nature. They had straightened the River Fleet and turned it into a canal. And, and Robert Hooke was the architect of that and, and oversaw the, the building of that. Um, and so where, where these sort of liminal spaces um, exist, the kind of edges of where nature has been tamed or, or attempted to be, to be tamed, um, I, I thought that was a nice kind of idea that, that things, things happen kind of at the, at the edges of the, of the civilized, you know, the, the uncivilized spaces where, where people have attempted to, uh, to, to gain control over these wild places. Uh, and so the, the Cambridgeshire Fens is, uh, um, areas of land on the, on the east coast, the eastern part of, of the UK. Um, they were reclaimed. So they used um, ditches, they, they dug great channels, they had uh, windmills and water pumps pumping the, the water off the land. And it's, uh, it's left a, a very interesting landscape. This had largely been done in the kind of 1630s, 1640s, so a little bit before my, my books were, were set. Uh, they and you get these the swamp. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's right. And the, you know, that, that's mirrored when um, Harry goes to Paris as well. The area of Paris that it, it is in is called the Marais, which is, you, you know, it, it was the swamp that, that's um, uh, a part of Paris. So, so these kind of um, sort of psychogeographical um, sort, of, sort of resonances that I, I try and sort of bring in um, a, a little bit. That sounded a bit pretentious for a second there, didn't it? Psychogeographical. But, um, uh, you know, this idea that there's something lurking under the under the soil, the particularly rich peaty soil of, of Cambridgeshire. Um, and after a, a, a flood, um, it, it brings forth the the, the ditch um, that, that holds back the the Great Bedford River um, breaks and it brings forth a body which has been submerged for the last 35 or so years since the time of the of the civil wars so as in the first book Harry uh, becomes engaged on another civil war mystery does, doesn't he so, so there are uh, you know there, there are resonances <laughs> You know, one of the things that struck me uh, is that in a historical novel, especially one that's set in the 17th century, details matter. And one of the details you're really good at throughout the narrative in this book is identifying how odiferous <laughs> the 17th century was, especially compared to our now relatively clean times. But uh, how do you go about researching how different things smells and what smells would occur? <laughs> uh, well, I think a, a lot of that is is imagination, isn't it? But but the the, the references, so for for example, Harry ends up. Um, how much of a spoiler is that? He he ends up in a part of Paris where the fosses are, um, and you know those those are the the open 
sewers essentially that the ditch is taking away parisian waste and uh, you know as as stuff was dumped into the thames from from the various um, sewers and and off, off the streets of uh, of london you know so, so it was in in paris so um the, these things were uh, i guess part of the the texture of, of people's lives um, nowadays the sewers are taken you know underground unpleasant smells um although i could go on a rant about the uk government because you know they, they've relaxed the, uh, the the laws recently about discharges into rivers and seas um but you know generally nowadays we, we're, we're a little bit more sanitized aren't we um the, the technology has uh, has has improved in that way i i, I guess in, in the last 300 years Yes, smelly, dirty. It's it's a if you put yourself back into these places, yeah. But I, you know, and I think people people have accommodated it, lived with it, lived over it, lived among it. Um, as I say, it's it's part of the texture of um, of a seventeenth century life. Disease, obviously, and, and you know, early early deaths, a, a low average life uh, lifespan. These these were the facts of uh, of life back then, and and I, and I guess that the books end up reflecting that because that's when they're set. It, it's almost a, not a kind of conscious conscious thing. You're trying to set the scene, aren't you? Uh, when, when when you're writing a book set in in 1679. You know, I, I mentioned earlier, you know, about the the way you build the world in this is similar to the way a science fiction writer like Frank Herbert or somebody builds a world when he's building out the science fiction. You know, he establishes the base, you know, with a lot of sand. In your case, it's a lot of soggy places. Um, and one of the things that also struck me about this is it really has the, the feel of steampunk, which is a genre of science fiction that kind of looks back and tries to, you know, get recapture the joy of H.G. Wells and Jules Verne. And, and I think that your novel shares a lot of that same feel because you are writing about scientists who are discovering things and, you know, kind of making up science, essentially, that we know today as it goes. And I think... You know, you have all sorts of interesting contraptions and machines. Uh, so talk about exploring science before it was actually science. Uh, well, the, uh, the the Royal Society, the, the early fellows, um, including Hook and Wren and uh, Samuel Pepys, uh, Newton, um, the, the, the first Winston Churchill, in, interestingly, who, who makes an appearance in, in the third book, um the gentleman virtuosi generally uh hook hook wasn't so much he was a slightly lower lower class but they all had a, a very wide spread of interests um and hook was a a polymathic genius he was at the forefront of so many different branches or specialisms of, of science um, he, he he led the way in uh, you know pretty well anything you you care to, to mention so the, the kind of contraptions and devices, um, I, can, I can use Hook's inventions um, to help me structure the, the plot. So the, he, he came up with so many um, ideas and inventions, uh, machines, instruments, um, 
some of which didn't find the light of day. Some were conceptual, some were, you, you know, discussed, imagined thought experiments. Um, steam, when you say steampunk, um, I, I kind of take steampunk to be um, an alternative history. Um, I think with, with mine, I've, I've stretched a couple of, of things, but I mean, things like the flying contraption is uh is is true um you know experiments in early flight this is uh jacob besnier uh and he had a, a flying um contraption it, it, it doesn't uh, there's not a lot of detail about it but his claims for it are quite extraordinary um and so i've kind of written this slightly fanciful um flights that uh that that harry they're trying to sort of edge around where, where he's flying from and to um but I'm, I'm kind of stretching, I'm kind of reveling in, in the kind of gaps of, of, of what we know. We, we know little things. I'm, I'm stretching it to, to that extent. But what I'm not doing is, is an alternative history to, to, to how, how I um, understand steampunk to, to be. You know, one of the things I think that's really uh, interesting about this book, and I'm wondering if you as a writer think about how readers experience this, I'm reading this electronically, so I can look up instantly any name, person, place that you put in here. And what I found was that most, if not <laughs> most of them were real, real people, real things. And it's, so it's a fascinating way to experience history. But as a writer, are you thinking about that the reader's going to be looking stuff up as they read, or are you thinking they're just going to be immersed in the world? I was kind of both. I mean, I would be, like, running along in this, you know, gritty. It's This is, <laughs> you know, we like to talk about police thrillers as being gritty. This takes gritty to a whole new level, <laughs> low level. <laughs> The yeah, it's 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 a funny one that because um the, you know Melville House, my publisher, done a, a beautiful Kindle um, version of this where where it's very interactive and you can look things up. That kind of cuts across um, my my you know joy as a as a reader is to lose myself in inside a text and in, in you know become immersed in that world. And if if I'm constantly looking stuff up i'm i'm coming out of the the rhythm that the author has has set up so that's kind of not for me but but i i do understand that people enjoy doing that and they will do that it's it's a bit of an issue if if i've taken a real character um who who gets murdered and that's my midpoint twist and somebody's kind of looked it up already and they've they've googled you know, you know <laughs> the, the, the first time i'm writing about it's kind of it does spoil the uh, the, the you know the, the surprise a, a little bit, um, but you know I I kind of have to to live with that I can't uh, I, I found that writing book two I I relaxed a lot whether that's just from being a little bit more experienced having having written the, the bloodless boy I kind of relaxed I, I felt I'd got into my my stride a bit more, and I'm kind of enjoying myself and I'm I'm seeing what I I can do some sometimes it's absurd and and you know a, a bit outrageous uh what what i do with with some of the characters uh captain jeffrey hudson for example you know it it is is a bizarre enough um character from history but but i kind of push it um 
uh, yeah, and you know, I'm I'm enjoying myself. So I, I try not to think too much of um, of somebody researching around it, and I, I want to kind of see where it takes me, and 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 then if my editor agrees, <laughs> maybe my wife, you know, <laughs> then, then I'll let it through. <laughs> you know, um, I I have to say that what you say about being immersed in this is really true, and it also seems too. I can sense that the fun that the author is having, because that means that what that immediately translates to for a reader is that the reader also has a lot of fun. And so for me, one of the things that I, I was wondering about was for you, when you choose, because you use so many real characters from history, talk about the decision to how you're going to portray them and you know versus um like for example say creating a character just to make that would be useful to the narrative how do you make that choice between the reality and the creation it's um uh, a lot of it is is uh, you know like sculpting you're kind of you're kind of chipping chipping away until you get to the form that you're you're pleased with but but, but there are disadvantages um of using real characters um so for example a, a completely fictional character i can i can design a fictional character to to best fit my story or the themes of the, the book that I, I want to explore and um, with, with a real character um, I kind of have to build the story around the, the character. The, the character is set far more. I, 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 it, it's a funny, it's a funny thing. I, I, I have them doing fictional things, but I still have lines that I, I don't want to cross. Um, so you know, I can't turn Robert Hook into Jack Reacher, for example. He's, he Robert Hook had certain physical characteristics. He had mental characteristics that, that I want to. I want to present a plausible version of, of Robert Hook. Uh, I'm, I'm such a kind of fanboy of, of Hook anyway that, uh, you know, I, I kind of, I wouldn't want to offend him even though he died over three, 300 years ago. So I have a funny relationship with my, my real characters. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's um, using using real characters I, I suppose i feel i have a bit of a, a responsibility towards them and and yet you know i i kill them off and you know it, it's it's contradictory it's 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 i i i had a an interesting sort of conversation in in the first book i i kill off henry oldenburg who was the secretary of the royal society i, I have him committing suicide it, it happens right near the start of the book, so it's not too much of a spoiler. Uh, and uh, and you know, the, a couple of people were, were quite horrified by by the fact that I'd I'd done that. But um, I kind of explain it away by saying that Hook and Harry hide the fact of his suicide and make it look as if, as if he died um, naturally from from natural causes. And they're in hock with the coroner, and you know this thing. Then, and it suits everybody not to not to have had Henry Oldenburg committing suicide. So it's a, it's a kind of odd sort of. I, I like to play with stuff, twist history, but I still want it to be plausible. Um, and yet, I also put in things like 
um, you know, mad flights across Paris, don't I? So it's it's a strange um, it's a strange mixture, I, I I suppose. At at the at the bottom of it all, you know, I'm trying to write a thriller, uh, and I, I I prefer the kind of rather old fashioned word. It, it's an adventure. I, I'm trying to write an adventure, and and everything kind of has to fit that sort of generalized idea I have of what an adventure should be. Uh, you know, when it comes to adventure, the character I think of immediately is General Fields, who is such a... <laughs> you have a heck of a good time with him. And I think that, that, again, when you're having a good time, the reader is as well. So, so talk about having fun with General Fields. You've promoted him as a colonel. No. Um, but Colonel, colonel Fields was a... Um, uh, a leveler um he, he fought in civil wars for parliament uh, and he becomes harry's um second father figure so so he he influences harry and and takes him away away from from robert hook um harry gets a, a, a little bit lost but because of that once once he's sort of away from hook and, and fending for himself and he, he becomes under the influence of colonel michael fields so, so Field is a kind of alternative option um, for for Harry as a as a father figure to to, to follow. It, it, it's interesting that you say that because Fields is the one character who I felt wrote himself. So when I was editing, I had to take pages and pages of Michael Fields's dialogue out because. I would just type and it was as if he was dictating to me. His voice just kind of comes out. So, so I, I know the, the, the way that he, he speaks, the, the way his sentences are structured. I know the kind of explosive way that he speaks. He, he never uses French words if there's a good Viking or Anglo-Saxon alternative. Everything, you know, it's... it's um, he he harks back to Albion, you know, the the the, the pre the, the pre invasion England of his his imagination, and he just kind of arrived fully fully formed, and uh, um, and and that was interesting because he, I I wanted him to change as well, and I wanted us to see a, a different aspect of of Michael Fields in in book two, and that and that took me in a um, in an unusual direction. Um, and and I I have I, I want to write more of Michael Fields because um, he's 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 a bit of a gift and uh, and I enjoy being in his company. As does the reader. You know, one thing that strikes me about Harry, there are many rewarding character moments for Harry, especially when he's doing his home, Sherlock Holmes deductions and i think that this is like you know such a a wonderful uh prototype you know archetype to, for you to mind as a as a mystery and adventure writer because you know sherlock holmes stories were adventures too they you know he in fact that's how doyle named them the adventure of this and that and the other thing so talk about you know that kind of archetype Sherlock Holmes was the more the model for Hook. Um, so, so 
but but Sherlock Holmes, I, I have a kind of love love hate relationship with with Sherlock Holmes because he's so unbearably smug. Um, be, because he's a genius, he kind of lets everybody know, doesn't he? And uh, and you kind of there's not a lot of tension. You kind of know that Sherlock Holmes is, has already thought up five different options for you know what Paul Watson is about to say. Uh, so so it's a kind of yeah hook. Hook is the kind of, as I said earlier, you know, the polymathic genius, and, and I suppose is is more the Sherlock Holmes character. Harry started off as being a stooge, but while writing the books, he's ended up becoming his own man more. So he 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 goes off on his investigations. There 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 is one very deliberate reference to Sherlock Holmes that I I put in, which is where Harry is guessing the occupation of Jacob Besnier when he first he first meets him and deduces or induces I should say more correctly that he um, is a locksmith so I, I kind of wrote that scene uh, you know, thinking of, of, of Sherlock Holmes um, but yes you know you know I, 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 I read them when I was maybe 13 14 15 I had the golden uh, we, age of science fiction. Well, well, 15 the, as they say <laughs> yeah I, you know um i, I read gormenghast about the same time and that you know that's left an indelible uh, indelible stamp on on the neil, it, neil it stevenson's up. books you know it's it, yeah it, you know I'm, I'm a big i'm a big sci-fi uh, fan you know it's interesting that you mentioned gormenghast because this really does have a lot of that feel of the kind of like cat uh, old castles and living on top of the ruins of something else or something else is built on top of that uh, that that's really fascinating <laughs> i i hadn't really thought of that uh, my, myself the, the but, but the idea of palimpsest is one that, that really interests me uh, of things that are built you know the, the layers of uh, um that, that accrue over over time and and things are are taken away demolished burned but never quite you know the surface is never quite scrubbed clean and i and i i like that kind of metaphor and and, and return to to that idea of palimpsest uh, uh, a lot um probably from reading name of the rose when i was 15. <laughs> another one yeah boy your name you, you and i have a very similar reading history you know about the same age similar reading age yeah yeah one of the things i did you travel to paris to to recreate this paris for you because I, i've been to paris once and, and having been there i thought boy he really, it really has in many ways. It has not changed a lot. The I, actually, um, it was a deliberate decision to use buildings that are still there, um, partly through a, a fantasy that you know when the books really take off, there'll, there'll be um, guides taking people around, you know, Cambridge and uh, and London and Paris and uh, yeah, this is. So, so for this for this book, I, I used buildings such as the Bibliothèque Mazarin, and it, it's still there. You can visit it. You can you can walk around it. Um, uh, Marianne's um, the, the 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 hotel the, the um, Beyond is is still there. It's it's called the Hotel de Chemay now, but the building it is you know you can explore all of uh, all of these places. 
Um, I I knew I, I've, I've been around London and, and visited all the all the sites a lot. The Cambridge site I, I lived in in Cambridge and out on the coast, Kings Lynn and so on. I haven't been to Paris for a good long time, so so that was it. I, I have been to the Bibliothèque Mazarin, but it more it was more old maps and and finding. Um, you know it, illustrations of the various buildings and it, it, it is amazing what you could you can find and, and and books um so it's kind of book learning for for paris more than more than actual uh, uh visits but um but certainly certainly london and, and cambridge um the the third book that i'm i'm writing um is, is is a lot of it is set in the Bethlehem Hospital in London, which has had a couple of mentions in in the first two books. It's incredible how much detail I have about this building that was it actually burned down in in the early eighteen hundreds. Um, but but again, Robert Hooke was the architect, so it's it's somewhere that he he built. Um, but I have as as well as all the the floor plans. To the place, um, I have all of the staff names and their disciplinary records. You know, from from 1680. Um, so so it is amazing what you can kind of find and and use um, and and dig up. And and then obviously there, there's all the gaps as well, stuff that you can't find out, which you which you invent. And that's where the really rich stuff goes on. You, you know, as you were talking, it, it struck me how one of the, the things that you encounter when you journey to England and Europe is the depth of history that's just all around you. I, 1660s in America, there are not, not a lot going on. Not a lot of L.A. or San Francisco happening in the 1600s. But uh, Europe, England... There's so much rich, deep history, and I think that's one of the things that gives this book its wonderful feel of texture. And so, talk about just you know that the number of years of history that is available before your books are set, and the time during which your books are set, and the time between then and now. I mean, there's three layers of history there that you have at your disposal. Some, something that I I refer to um, regularly in in the books is is the Roman history of London, um, and so for example, when Robert Hooke was dredging or having dredged the Fleet River that formed the canal, they were finding Roman statues, and the the Roman statues they found ended up in the uh, Royal Society's repository, um, and you know they they must have been constantly um finding the, the the ruins and foundations of, uh, of, of long ago pulled down Roman Roman buildings when the Bethlehem hospital uh, that I mentioned a, a minute uh, ago was was built they used the ditch that was formed when the Romans built the old uh, wall around the the city of, of London um, but, and they filled it in really badly so the foundations were never particularly uh, particularly good. So they're kind of constantly building on on stuff that, um, you know, they're they're reusing, they're they're uh, re reclaiming stuff or building round stuff that they can't. 
so, so it's kind of a, a a strange relationship that they that they have with the uh, with the past um john aubrey is, is one of the kind of minor characters he's one of the fellows of the of the royal society and he he was an antiquarian and he surveyed um the the avebury stones and stonehenge um, so so they they were fascinated yeah, there was a real resurgence at this time for for looking um and, and wondering about druidical practices and we've got a lot of you know interesting myths in 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 the uk or in old english myths and uh things like the the, the, the um Hearn, the Hearn the Hunter or Jack in the Green or Spring Hill Jack. There, there are all sorts of things that you can you can refer to and uh, uh, and go back to. I, you, one thing I noticed in this book, you have a lot of fun with the women in this book, from Grace Hook to the Duchesse sisters. Talk about the, uh, I can tell as an author, you are having fun when you're writing about them. And we as readers also just—it's really just like a joy to read about them. So talk about writing about the women in this book, from Grace Hook uh, to Marie Anne Mancini and and her her sister. Uh, I'm I'm so in love with Hortense. Um, <laughs> you know, Hortense Mancini is is just my my cup of tea. Um, so she. You know, again, I haven't had to invent anything about her. She's a real character. She did all of the things that I said she 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 did um, uh, flagrantly. Um, uh, you know, didn't didn't give a monkey's about, about convention. She she was fabulous. Um, so so Hortense is 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 there, you know, cross dressing, sword fighting, hard drinking, gambling, horse riding, Hortense Mancini. Uh, people fought duels over her and owned portraits of her, and she she was the the absolute it girl of the uh, of the age. Um, a, a couple of people have um, have said that the the female characters in this are. Um, are, are interesting. Grace Grace Hook is a, ma a major character in, in book two. Um, well, it, it, as I say, it, it's an adventure, and so I don't I don't need or want characters who are, um, you know, with the women in in the story. They they're not going to be damsels in distress. They're not going to be wallflowers. They're not going to be simpering in the background. I kind of don't. I haven't got time for that. So they end up being, um, you know, active and uh, and um, but they're they're not there for Harry to rescue, are they? Either either Grace or um, or certainly not Hortense. Um, so you know, you know, they they they. <laughs> I suppose it could could be accused of. of being kind of old, you know, in an old-fashioned way, men, men in disguise. But but that's kind of I, I play with that anyway because both of them dress up as as men and a switch. They you know they're, they're sort of interesting um, kind of gender fluidity uh, about them. Uh, it it is playful. It's supposed to be entertaining. I I hope they come across as being. Um, not stereotypically, kind of cartoonishly um, um, 
macho is the wrong word, isn't it? But you know, they they, they are as swashbuckling as any of the men in uh, in in my story. That's the which I like. Word. Which I like. <laughs> swashbuckling. <laughs> I, I, I I had a hell of a good time. Now, one thing that that drives part of the plot of this book is uh, driving part of the plot of the narrative of history in this very moment which is the rich use of story to try to change people's way about thinking about the world and about politics which is to say conspiracy theories and england was in the grips of something that you know very QAnon like in many ways which was the popish plot so talk about, you know, using, using the conspiracy theories of the time to drive your own plot. The, yes, and, and in Paris at the, at the same time, they, they had the affair des poisons. So everyone was suspected oh, right. of, of using okay. inheritance powders to, to bump off people to, to, to get their, uh, you know, get their estates and all sorts of witchcraft and, and accusations and 400 people ended up being accused and 200 people imprisoned and and i think 30 over 30 people 36 people i think executed you know paris was in the grip of, of an equally um um sort of savage bout of, of hysteria so yeah the, the 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 popish plot happened um and that was the reason that i set the the bloodless boy when i did and obviously the sequel follows a, a year on so all this thing is this is is going on and it it forms a kind of overarching plot line and um, through the certainly the first four books you, you know that they're, they're all going to be set because because it went on for three four five years um so yeah they, they, they were in the grip of mania and aren't we lucky that we have things like twitter where we can see we can see all the range of, of human um, responses to, um, you know, in, in the UK, we have got Brexit, which is vastly entertaining. Um, we've, we've had the pandemic. Uh, we've got all the, you know, along with the pandemic, we've got all the scandals about um, PPE, um, uh, VIP fast lanes, and then the government, you know, awarding mad contracts for for their mates um and so so scandal is never is never far away and it's nothing new um so so people i, I don't consciously set out to find a parallel with for example covid and let, let's write that into you know in, into my story i think these things just naturally well up when you're looking at people who are protecting um themselves and and their own and they are using skullduggery to to get uh, um to get what they want um there, there are conspiracies harry is kind of thrust into um into these situations which which he then has to kind of uh and end up he ends up resolving or, or being at least a, a part of the of the solution kind of a, a, against his will because it you know it surrounds us all the all the time doesn't it we we had all the kind of you know things like in in um in the states you, you've got january the 6th and and it, it forms the 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 narrative for, for the next you know everyone 
talks about that and it gets picked apart. Every position that anyone can take on an issue like that is, is taken. And then people start to build up followers like planets, you know, they'll start to get others in their, in their orbit and things gain mass and certain conspiracies, you know, become attractive and you, you get all these strange um, institutions and think tanks uh, funded nefariously and they'll be pushing particular, you know, points of view. You, you, you've supposedly got all these kind of AI bots feeding uh, misinformation into us. And, and we all end up in this kind of frantic space of not knowing what on earth to, to believe um, and trying our best to, to negotiate it. And that's, that's kind of what Harry represents. You know, he's, he's trying to sail on these stormy waters and, and steer a steady course through. <laughs> Our current flood of information and misinformation and disinformation is nothing new. It's been it's been flooding for for four centuries. Absolutely, and in, you know, in, in the time frame that I'm writing about, it's it's the coffee houses, it's the the news sheets. You know, the explosion of publishing. Um, people people were were reading or being read to. Gossip would would race through London uh, like uh, like fire. The um, printing yeah. press so, was the yeah. first internet. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, do you remember letter writing, Rick? Uh, yeah, I I wrote many letters to my one t- to my uh, current wife back in the time when before the internet. You know, people people wrote letters to to one another, and 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 that kind of slightly slower pace of transmission of messages, I I, I like. Um, the, the idea of a, a person on horseback racing to get a message to, to, to somebody. Um, Hook designed a signaling system using towers and telescopes and, and a special character set that was put up on frames on, on towers, you know, on, in high places. So, so, so you know, getting, getting messages, he, he, he tried to sell that to the Navy, but they, uh, they didn't buy it. Um, so, so yeah, it, it is fascinating. The, uh, the the kind of it's it's the same but different. It's the same concerns, but it's all being transmitted in a in a in a different way. I I, I do enjoy writing at a, at a time before mobile phones and networks and computer security and uh, and stuff like that. You know, um, maybe maybe another you know a, a book a few years down the line. I'll, I'll address modern concerns. <laughs> Uh, the cell phone destroyed many a mystery writer's career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Um, it, it's funny, isn't it? Especially on on the TV. I think Twenty Four was was great for this. Yeah, constantly on the phone. Everything is going on through a mobile phone, and it be, it becomes a trope. It becomes a, a cliche. It becomes annoying. Um, it, it give me a man on horseback, you know, racing, racing to the. Um, get to the ship before the ebb tide uh, you know you know <laughs> leaves <laughs> one of the things about your book is as you excel in in set pieces my one of my favorites was one set at you know could straight out of todd browning's freaks uh movie freaks so talk about the 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 monster the 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 freak show that that Harry finds himself at, which is, I thought, really successfully creepy. I mean, right? Yeah, I I um, I think in in the Bloodless Boy, the the first one, I kind of jump 
genre um, halfway through that one, don't I? There's a kind of horror, a straightforward horror scene. This one, I, I wanted it to be more dreamlike. Um, Harry, Harry makes an assumption. I, I'm, I'm trying not to sort of give spoilers away, but he 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 searches for the person they're searching for. Um, at this particular, as you say, it, it is a it's a, a freak show. It's um, the, uh, the the monstrosities. Um, it, it's ad advertised as. Um, so I, I wanted it to be dreamlike. I, I wanted it to represent the the kind of the the, the unconscious, the, the the kind of dark um, darkness within within all of us, I, I suppose. And it's it's placed there because something major happens just after it. Um, I'm, I'm trying to avoid give giving sort of major major spoilers there, but the one of the themes, one one of the themes of the first book is is the idea that God creates and accepts um, monstrosities of nature. They, they they call them. So the the Royal Society in its repository in its collection had um, uh, it seemed you know seemingly an abundance of two headed puppies or or you know eight legged calves and they, they were fascinated by nature gone wrong um, because it seems to suggest that we don't live in a perfect world and so what's what is God up up to and so to to celebrate um, that in you know a, a freak show it's 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 a positive and a negative for the people involved it's providing employment it's also it's exploitation so there's a kind of un, uncomfortable um thing going on there so so for harry and fields to be in this place that they have no control over it was it was a, a, a kind of diversion into not so much horror but a, but a kind of dream a dreamlike experience for them where where they're just not welcome and and they they get rejected they get spat out don't they um so that's kind of what i what i wanted i'm i'm glad it's creepy though <laughs> yeah i can tell you you're you're definitely trying for that and 100 effective in it which is really interesting because you know the thrust of the novel as you say is it's an adventure but you're using the genre of adventure to evoke a number of other genres mystery thrillers horror even you know a bit of science fiction as it were with at least for the people who are in the story in terms of you know some of the contraptions they come up with now you mentioned uh enticingly a uh, book three and book four so that's a pretty far out considering this one was just published talk about you know the the grand arc how far in advance are you working and how does that affect the creation of each individual work okay so, so i have a deadline um which is slightly alarming um the the, the first two books were self-published originally and melville house came in um to, to publish them and they were then rewritten so i've, I've had deadlines to rewrite books before 
suddenly I'm confronted with a deadline to to, to write uh, the book. So I, I've got an, until the end of April for, for book three. So it's all planned out. Um, I am two thirds of the way through, um, but it's 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 a bit over length at the at the moment. So um, it might be quicker just to write it, you know, long and then see what my my editor says at <laughs> Melville House. Um, and then book four is is sketched out, um, planned out. Uh, it so I, I'm I'm very definitely a, a planner now. So I, I do a long plan before I commit myself to writing pretty sentences. And I find it's much easier to, to you know sort things out that you know where, where the characters are going to take me. It's easier to deal with that in a ten thousand word plan than a, than a one hundred thousand word novel. So, so book four, it's kind of, it's it's a sketchy um, plan for for that. Same characters. It's it's a direct sequel to, to book three. Book three is a direct sequel uh, to to book two. Um, so yeah, what what I do after that, um, I'm not absolutely sure whether whether I stick with Harry and and Hook. I, I'm enjoying the world at the at the moment, but I'm contractually obliged now to uh, to to um, complete books three and and four and um, so so that should be out kind of this time next year um maybe october november next year uh with with book four to follow a year after after that so so you know i can i can tell you that much book four is is structurally or formally um different i've, I've gone for a, a kind of split time frame which which i'm i'm um you know uh, that should freshen things up up a little bit. I I, I think um, I might even experiment with tenses. You know, Rick. I, I yeah. I, I might uh, yeah have a little little go at that. So you know that that's kind of as as far as I'm thinking at the moment. But, but the the main thing is get book three finished. <laughs> <laughs> now. For me, one of the things that I really like about these books. It is, you know, the progression because we're we're seeing the characters, all of the characters kind of evolve. So talk about, you know, the setting character arc within a book and across the books. I I definitely want Harry to change. He's a he's a young man. In the first book, he is kind of trying to leave Hook's shadow. In the second book, he does so, but unsuccessfully <laughs> struggles to uh, to do so. Um, something happens at the end of book two, which which I won't um, divulge to to people who who haven't yet read it. But he 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 um, um, he has to live with the effects of of what happens at the end of book two. He takes that into book three. He's very very different. Um, he 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 you know he loses himself rather in in book three loses sight of who he is or, or who he should be um, so that that's kind of kind of interesting um, name dropping as as I like to do because I'm I, I still can't can't quite believe it happened I, I had an hour online with Lee Child um, and the you know. 
Harry Hunt is not Jack Reacher. I mean, we had, we had this sort of great uh, conversation. Jack Jack Reacher is kind of perfectly formed. Uh, his his immovable, immutable. He will never he will never change, and he's he's kind of there. And Lee Lee is is very happy with that, <laughs> as I'm sure he would be. His readers are are very happy with that. But Harry is kind of his um his his young. He's changing. He's um um impressionable he he gets taken off on you know he, he tries to impress is one of his his kind of weaknesses um so he changes hook hook doesn't change so much but by this point hook's character was was pretty pretty much formed he, he changed in later life he became very cantankerous and uh, and bitter about various things that happened to him but at, at this time uh, you know he, he he wasn't that he was uh sociable and gregarious but but is 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 the, the finished article really um there's the hook and grace um subplot um you know that that kind of line where, where their relationship is uh, is going so i've got the kind of moonlighting um civil shepherd um you know will, will, will they will they won't they um with uh, with bruce um so that that's going on uh, different characters that i've mentioned kind of re reappear um some some characters have had minor roles come to the fore so, so there's a lot of kind of um dipping in and out of the you know the, the fellows of the royal society that there's a scene in book two where they all get drunk in the pub um and and you know it's, it's one of my favorite scenes and and they're they're great characters to, to kind of explore you know i can I, like john aubrey I, I would like to give um, give a lot more space to um so they, yeah they, they, there's lots of kind of um change going on it, it's, uh, it's it's quite dynamic historically there was a lot of stuff going on over the next few years so we, we're moving into uh the exclusion crisis uh, so as well as the popish plot you had all the drama uh about uh, who was going to take over from charles ii his, his brother announced that he was um, Catholic, which uh, which worried um, everybody, well, worried people. Uh, so they were busy looking around for an alternative. Um, so uh, yeah, you, you know, there, there's there's lots of stuff um, to to explore and uh, uh, and go through. The new novel by Robert Lloyd is the Poison Machine. Uh, thank you for joining me, Robert. Thank you, Rick. Um, thank you for, for having me on. I'm You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.